Chris. Chris, can I borrow that bulletin real quick? Did you bring one up? Oh, oh. Who has their bulletin handy? Can I snag one? Awesome. I just want to show you guys something before I start. Hello, I'm Pastor Anthony. Welcome to the Vine Campus of New Day Community Church, as Chris said. Awesome. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate that. I wanted to draw your attention to something before I start, if I may. And that is, when we started this church, it was, it's been about two and a half years-ish, Pastor Cameron, my senior leader, said, you know, it's, you guys are just starting out, like, just set a modest offering goal. Just have your offering goal be $100 a week. And we exceeded it immediately. Like, embarrassingly exceeded it. So he's like, well, I mean, you could bump it up if, if you wanted. And I said, well, let's bump it up to $200 a week. We exceeded it immediately. Okay? So then I decided I'm just going to bump it up to $300 a week. We'll see what happens. We exceeded it immediately. So I'm thinking to myself, maybe there's a connection between the goals we set, like the faith we have, and like God meeting that goal. Possibly it could happen. It's happened three times. So I told Cameron two bold things. I said, I have a feeling we're going to be at $1,000 a week in no time, and I'm bumping up the goal to $500 a week. So this was a couple weeks ago. And uh, I set the goal at $500 a week. No kidding. We had the largest offering ever. It was almost 1000 We exceeded it immediately. So I said, you know, I'm going to bump it up. And if you look on the back, we now have a $1,000 offering goal. And I felt like I was supposed to say something about that because God still wants to do some things physically in this building. You're sitting in a miracle. Some of you know that because you've been around for years and years and years and you saw it when it was an absolute pit, man. And it was like holes in the ceiling and wires hanging down and forgot bathrooms. We had a hole in the floor. You had to go upstairs and use the bathrooms upstairs. It was trash, man. But the Lord just brought people's hearts into this place and they volunteered time, labor, resources, and they made it what it is today. But there's a lot more work to do. Ask me to see the basement. We need to restore that. We need to make it usable space. We need children's areas. We need classrooms. We need stuff to be done. We need the floor finished in the, in the kitchen. We want to put in a commercial-grade kitchen so that if we wanted to do like neighborhood events and actually invite people in and feed people, that's not an issue. You actually have to have certain things in the kitchen. Like Sean knows this. His mom runs a daycare. They're strict on that, man. You have to have like a three-station sink and stuff. I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to happen quick. I'm just saying that. So the offering goal is now $1,000 a week. And I'm waiting for it to be, not met, but exceeded so we can bump it up again. I never, ever talk about money. I don't think I've ever talked about the offering goal ever in two and a half years. But I just did. So, Lord, we trust you to come through. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We are nearing the end of the first four-month series of our year on spiritual growth. We're talking about the inward journey. We're talking about maturing in our identity in Christ. Who are we in God and what are we not? So we're trimming off things that don't belong and we're learning how to operate out of who we really are. So we've talked about some pretty cool stuff and if you were here last time I preached before the power outage, you know that I talked about freedom. But you also know that it was very disappointing for most people because I refused to talk about freedom in a message on freedom. I actually talked about how we're, we're servants. We're called slaves in the Bible. And ironically, we're freed from the house and the domain of the devil to serve in the house of God, which is good news. It was a good message. I used Terminator 2 references. I mean, it, it wasn't bad. I enjoyed it a heck of a lot. 
But it's not what people want to hear about usually when you say you're going to preach on freedom. So today, I'm doing it. Today, we're talking about freedom in the sense that most people want to hear about it. Christian liberty. The freedom that people really want to hear about. The freedom that says, guess what? You can do stuff. You have choices and you can do stuff. Everything is not wrong. You actually have freedom. But we're going to discover that there are some pretty clear parameters in the Bible that you have to grasp to navigate this brave new world correctly. Does that sound good? Yes. All right. Let me also say this. This might go long. If your <laughs> bum gets sore and you can't pay attention anymore, just excuse yourself. But I'm going to use my Christian liberty to, to, to do this as long as it takes. Okay? Yep. All right. Excellent. Lots of Bible verses. Let's jump right in and let's not dilly-dally. First of all, we are servants. That's still true, but we are servants with freedom. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 24. But you know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pause there. Jesus is talking about the end of time, Jesus' second coming when he comes back to judge the earth. And he's comparing us to the masters of the house, is he not? Be ready like the master of the house should have been ready. Then he says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing. He will set him over all of his possessions. So here we see an interesting dynamic where Jesus is saying, yes, you're still servants, but you're going to be servants with authority. You're going to be servants set over my whole house. Some of you are going to be servants in charge of other servants. I don't know what else to call this, but freedom. It's a certain amount of liberty. And this isn't the only place. Mark 13. Concerning that day, again, he's talking about the end of time, the second coming, rather, of Jesus. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. No time for a sermon on how that might be possible, but moving on. Verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Here we see again Jesus talking about us as if we're servants, but we're servants with authority. If you want to have freedom, you have to have a certain amount of authority. If you're going to be truly free, you need decision-making power. Does that make sense? When a parent gives their three-year-old a choice, and the parent knows they really have no choice, yeah, Keith hates that. When, when Keith was very young, he told me, give me orders. If I don't have a choice, don't ask the question. Just tell me. He has very little patience for this. Like, do you want to take a nap, little Bobby, four years old? Or do you want to go outside and wash the tires on Daddy's car? Like, that's not a choice. Like, my, my sister was incredibly strong-willed when she was a child, and she declared, how old was she? When she, Two years old, declares to a room of my mom's friends, I am not going to take a nap today. <laughs> if my mommy lets me. So... That's, not, that's real decision-making power. She made the choice. But she did not have the authority to implement that decision. Does that make sense? Not real freedom. Here's an interesting thought. You are servants with real freedom. You have real individual freedom. I believe that. 
You have the authority to implement your decisions. God is not playing a game with you. When he says he leaves his servants in charge of the house, he's leaving them in charge. Do what you will. You have the freedom and the authority to decide. And you have resources you can freely use. It doesn't end at watch my stuff. Jesus goes a little bit farther and says, use my stuff. Check out these verses. Matthew 25. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, to his, and entrusted his wealth to them. The NIV translates it, translates it like this. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one bag. And it says he gave it to them each according to his ability. In telling this story, Luke adds that the master says, engage in business until I come. Whoa. You're in charge of the house. Some of you are in charge of other servants. You have the authority to implement the decisions you're going to make. Here's all of my money. Daniel, I know you can handle about five bags. All of us are pretty much one bagger. So you better just take, <laughs> Daniel, you can just take all the gold. You take care of the gold. <laughs> Engage in business until I come back. That's almost an intimidating amount of freedom and authority, is it not? It is. And you know, Jesus isn't the only one that talks about us like servants who also have real individual freedom. And we have it, man. You better believe it. Paul writes several chapters on this idea of Christian liberty, Christian freedom. Now, in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, and 1 Corinthians 10, he focuses on one idea. It's, it's almost exclusively focused on this one thing, which was a problem in Rome and was a problem in Corinth, and that was this. People in the church were arguing about a, a debate that was raging, and that debate was this. We're not pagans anymore. We don't go and go to these temples and worship these gods anymore. But some of our friends still do, lots of people in the city, and they offer them this meat, and it's really good meat. And the idols don't eat the meat, shock, so they take it out of the temple, and they sell it in the meat market. And I don't know what they sold it for. Let's, let's call them quarter steaks. Does that sound good? Because it's sacred meat, you know, it's been offered to the idol. So nobody's going to buy this because it's been offered to the idol. And they, the Christians are walking by and they're like, quarter steak Tuesday, but on a Friday. I love it. They're buying all the quarter steaks. And they're going home and they're, they're eating this meat that was sacrificed to idols. And other Christians are going to their house and they're seeing it and they're saying, oh my goodness. That's, that's idol meat. You're sinning. This is the most evil thing you could ever do. How could you take part in this? And man, it is wild and crazy. They are fighting each other over this issue. Is it okay or is it not okay? This hit them right where they live. So Paul writes a lot on this. But why three whole chapters? Is it really that complicated? And this kind of takes us right into the heart of the issue. Is it that complicated? Let me show you an image that most people would say represents freedom. Okay? The freedom of the open road. My mom even finished the song. Now, I'm going to make an argument that this does not represent freedom at all. This represents, if we wanted to get all biblical and take the analogy there, which I do, this represents the law. Look at all the direction in this picture. We have one lane that can't pass. We have another lane that can pass. We have little white lines that mark off where you can't drive. We have gravel, which will you know, change the sound and hopefully alert you to get back on the road, which is the only place you're supposed to drive. We have a fence 
which marks off the uh, state property of the road from the private property over there. We have even glowy things in the middle of the road to keep you in your lane in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's a lot of direction here, is there not? And you might feel good on the road with nobody else, you know, in that nice Corvette that we used a couple sermons ago. Oh, man, they are awesome, I got to tell you. If the Lord blessed me with one, I would probably sell it and enjoy the money, though. I'd give it to my mom. Of course I would. That's what I meant to say. But you'd feel good. But I don't think this is what Christian freedom feels like. This is not what they felt like in Roman Corinth when they're arguing about the idol meat. It didn't feel like a nice, easy drive on a nice paved road. It felt like this. This is what it feels like to live in Christian freedom. And you know what? That's okay. It's appropriate that it feels like bushwhacking through a jungle. You're not under law, you're under grace. You know, the Jews really liked the law, and the law did something that was super convenient. It said, do this, don't do this. Do this at this time, and don't do this at this time. It was a list of rules. And we might talk a good game about how we don't want to live according to the law, and we don't want all these parameters, and we don't want to be confined. But when we're faced with a jungle, suddenly, we want the road. Almost every time. God does not give us the road. You know what he does? He gives us the tools we'll need to get through the jungle. He's like, yeah, life's rough. Those vines are thick. Here's a machete and a compass and a map. And you know what else he does? He makes you the type of person that's comfortable there. <laughs> The women are going crazy. It's not even a picture of Harrison Ford. It's a painting, for crying out loud. This is God's answer to a life that doesn't have easy answers. Yes, it's a jungle. No, it's not a road. Don't go back to that. You're in freedom now. You're going to need these tools, and you're going to need to change. Does that make sense? This is why Paul spends three chapters, and in fact, much more, discussing how we use our freedom because we're not in Kansas anymore, we're in the jungle. The jungle of real life, with real choices, with multiple people having different convictions, trying to decide how best to live this thing we call the Christian life. I'm going to tell you, you can push back, you can argue, and I hope this raises some questions, that Paul is intending not to tell people, hey, there's gray areas out there, we just need to respect these gray areas. I think Paul is trying to say, you know what? We're going to eliminate these seeming gray areas. Amen. I'm going to give you some parameters. We're going to show you how to use this compass and this map and this machete. And I'm going to show you that they only seem like gray areas. You know how pixels work, right? So if you see a screen and it looks gray, if you zoom in close enough, there's some black pixels and some white pixels. I think Paul's saying, we're going to zoom in. And we're going to pick out the black, and we're going to pick out the white, and we're going to discover that this isn't as gray as you thought. I think Paul's doing this intentionally. Now we're going to go through some black areas and some white areas, because he lays them out. You guys ready? Am I going too fast, or is this good? It's a good pace? If I can keep it up without breathing, then we're, we're all right. It's this issue I have for crying out loud. If I ever speak to like a larger audience, I'm going to be like, God, I need to breathe. He's good when he's awake. <laughs> when he passes out, it's, that, that's when we get coffee. All right, here we go. Pay attention. Come back. Come back. All right. Black area number one, worshiping at the pagan temple. Some of these Christians were going to get the quarter stakes 
at the temple. And they were enjoying the steaks during the pagan ceremony because they're thinking to themselves, hey, there's no idols anyway. Who cares? We know the truth. There's only Jesus. Paul says this is a no-no, and he says it clearly. 1 Corinthians 10, 19-22. What do I imply then? That the food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. The cup of the Lord there is, is their communion cup. That was their, their you know, worshipful meal. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I've highlighted some words. Look at these. You cannot, you cannot. Where is the maybe? There's no maybe. He's saying, this is a black area. I want to help you guys out. I'm trying to help you in this debate. Don't go there. And here are the reasons why you cannot do that. Okay? So some of the people that felt like that was okay, they've got to step back and say, all right, you're, you're right. That's a black area. We're going to change. Here's a white area. The white area, strangely enough, is eating the cheap meat offered to idols. Now you might say, wait a minute, how is what you just said not to do it? No, he said not to do it at the pagan temple. But listen to this. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 25 to 27. A couple things here. Look at this. He says, eat, eat without raising any questions. He even says, if you want to go to dinner, this was big, with unbelievers, whatever they give you, don't worry about it. Just eat it. Don't ask questions. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. One of my favorite commentators on the Blue Letter Bible app, David Guzik, he says it like this. He says, the cow belonged to God on the hoof, and it belongs to God on the barbecue. And I say, amen. That's right. You got it, Dave. Preach. So Paul essentially says, eat cheap steaks. They're great steaks. Go get it. Yeah, he's like, you guys are right. There's no such thing as an idol, man. Buy them. 99 cents a pound, don't ask questions. Steak is good, smells good, it's not spoiled, take it home. <laughs> Clears it up. This is a white area. Where's the maybe? No maybe. He's like, you go take advantage of those deals. That's awesome. Read that one right, guys. Enjoy it. Another black area. Eating cheap idol meat if... Oh, snap, we've got an if. <sighs> Eating the cheap idol meat... If your conscience bothers you, and suddenly people are like, oh, gray area, what do we do? I can't navigate it. My conscience, is my conscience bothering me? Is it not bothering me? I don't know what to do. Time out. Let's just pause. You know, we've got tools for this, okay? We are going to work through it. It's really complicated, though. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Paul saying, step back, we're going to walk through this slowly. Do you feel free to eat the idol meat? Gosh, not really. My conscience bothers me a little bit. Okay, for you it is a black area. Now at this point, someone usually says, 
well, this is a gray area because it's entirely subjective. This is subjective moral reasoning. It's okay for one person. It's not okay for another person. False garbage. <laughs> Trash. And I'll tell you why. It is objectively true for everyone that you sin when you violate your conscience. It is objectively true for everyone on the planet, regardless of how they feel about it, that if you're not sure about the meal and you eat it, you're sinning. And it's objectively true for everyone that if they have no problem with it and they're skipping home with their bag full of steaks, they are not. I could, I hope I could do that. I don't know if I could have done that back in the day. I hope so. No, maybe. Paul doesn't say it might be wrong if your conscience bothers you. Just pray more. He says, if you're in doubt, who's seen the movie Ronan, old movie in the 90s, action movie? All right. Robert De Niro says, the first thing they teach you is, if there's any doubt, there is no doubt. Well, that's a great one-liner. Well, it's true in this context. If there's any doubt, there is no doubt. It's a black area. But, you know, we have... Did that skip forward? No, don't betray me, technology. There we go. The blackest area. This is the worst of the worst, okay? This is a thing that really irritated Paul and would have really irked Jesus as well. Using your freedom, the freedom in this case to eat the idol meat, with no regard for the conscience of your weaker brothers. So flaunting your freedom. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 14, 15. And 19 to 20. If your brother or your sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Do not, do not, it is wrong. Where is the maybe? No gray areas. Paul put acting in love towards other brothers way up here. So I'm going to ask you kind of a riddle. You don't have to answer it because, you know, you can't really figure them out. But I'm going to pose it like a riddle because it's engaging. You know what I mean? I figure it'll be good. So one of our big debates in society, more so in Ohio where I'm from, less so up here in microbrewery culture, amen, where we're delivered, is, is alcohol. Let me ask you guys a question. Why do you think it would have been a sin for me to have a beer last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in the evening before bed, but would not have been a sin for me to have a beer yesterday at 10 a.m.? Ah, I wasn't just with people that thought it was a sin. Our power was out. We were staying in the home of a family. Yeah who had strong feelings about alcohol. The people who had the home, if I pushed it, they probably would have said, go ahead. But their conviction was, we don't think it helps social interactions, even between Christians. They told me, we have a thing about that. And so, if I was to go ahead and say, well, I'm going to bring a beer in your house, because I can, suddenly my priority is not love and honoring these people who are my hosts. That's sin, guys. That is not a gray area. You know, and we went out to dinner and we went to Hopcat and I had a cider. Not sin. I bring a 20-ounce cider into their house. Sin. Not a maybe, not a gray area. Do we see how that works? Okay. Paul hated people. He didn't hate people. Rewind, delete, click, click, click. He hated it when people used their freedom to damage others. 
All right? But there's a whitest area as well. The whitest area is a humility that will be willing to forgo certain freedoms in the name of love. In the name of love. That's right. Romans 14, <laughs> 3 and 21. The one who eats everything, this is important. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to stumble or cause your brother to fall. This is huge. Paul is saying if it's a big enough deal to you that you're wondering if if it's worth doing it and offending people, your heart is out of line. The very core of your operating system is wonky. Fix it. Because if you're living life in the love of Jesus, you're willing to let anything go to have peace with your brothers and to build them up rather than risk tearing them down. The last horror movie I ever watched was The Ring. It was like back in like 2004 or something ridiculous. I love that movie. I just give my life back to the Lord. I wasn't done with horror movies. I am now, and I don't even want to see that one again. I saw a clip from it recently and like turned my stomach. But back in the day, that was where I was at. And that was like the least of my problems from what I was coming out of. I'm like, I love this. I'm not smoking weed and getting drunk all the time. Like, let's watch this movie. So I was with a bunch of friends at a lake house, and I thought, this would be really awesome. Like, creepy night, lake house. Let's watch The Ring. Guys... I was with people that had really tender hearts that had been a Christian a long time, and watching them watch it bothered me. And this verse came into my mind. Better not to watch the ring ever for the rest of your life than to cause your brother to stumble. And I had to apologize to some people. Does that make sense? No maybe, black area. I lacked the wisdom to see it. They forgave me, said no worries. Then a guy suggested we watch a comedy, which turned out to be way worse, and I was, the tension was off me. But, you know, is your heart willing to give that stuff up? Because Paul's saying, if you're right, it will be. Make sense? All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. You have real individual freedom, but you are not free to consider yourselves mere individuals. Amen. Wow. Look at this from Romans and Corinthians. Romans 14, 7, Paul says, None of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, No one should seek their own good, but seek the good of others. We are part of a body. Paul's saying, just have this guiding principle. Look out for them instead of looking out for number one. Nothing you do is truly an individual, truly an individual choice if you're part of the body. Does that make sense? But what about that guy? You all know who I'm talking about. You've met him. Mr. McFreedom Stealer. Now, I think every church has one. I haven't met him at New Day yet, but he's, he's around, all right? And you'll, you'll know. Let me just show you a picture. I found a picture of him on the internet, actually. This is him right here. I couldn't believe it. Now, this guy doesn't want you to do anything, okay? Like... This guy will find out if you like it, and he will tell you it's wrong, all right? One time, I was, I was at Walmart. I was playing Guitar Hero in the electronics department on the display. I was killing it, barked at the moon. It was, I was doing good. And this Mr. McFreedom Stealer walks up to me with nose in the air, no kidding, and is eyeing me from, like, 20 feet away and stops right by me and, like, looking down like this says, 
is it edifying? And I wanted to be like, my fist in your face is going to be edifying. But I didn't. So who's encountered Mr. McFreedom Stealer before in their life? Okay, almost everybody. We know him. We love him. He's got these characteristics. Frequently gruff, grumpy, crass, rude, and joyless. In fact, if you have joy, he's almost positive you have hidden sin. Because sin is about the only thing in his experience that can make anybody happy for any amount of time. You're smiling. What are your secrets? You know? You're in a group of people smiling and laughing. Oh, wouldn't let my kids hang out with them. All right? And he is bound and determined to make you end up just like him. But I want to come to this guy's defense for a minute. Because if you're encountering this guy in the church, we need to realize some stuff, okay? This guy has a history. This guy has hurts. And if he's still around the church, I want to consider the fact that he might actually have sincerity and endurance. He's not going away. He might be scarred. He might be beat up. He might have some issues. But he is the way he is because he's had a life before he had the white hair and the cane, you know? So we need to consider this guy as much as it irks us to do it because we see where this is going as a brother. And if this guy is one of our brothers, I hate to tell you, but we've got to love him too. Even if he's the weaker brother, like Paul said. Now, we might not like that, But this is the harsh reality that sometimes the heart of love will have to bend to a Mr. McFreedom stealer. Not all the time. That's a different message. But sometimes we even have to accommodate him. I want to make some more points before we close. We're getting there. It'll be about five more minutes. It's only been like, what, 75, 80 minutes already? We're good? All right. Accountability. You have real individual freedom to make real choices You have the authority to implement those decisions and you have resources to use and you will be held accountable for how you used your freedom. How did you use your very real ability to choose? What did you do with it? Some scary and also really cool, it's a mixture of cool and scary passages from the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke. Right after Jesus talks about putting the servant in charge, he says this in Luke 12, 44 to 47. If that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat, to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the, with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will, will receive a severe beating. This is meek and mild, gentle Jesus saying this. Use your freedom well. I've put you in charge of my house. I expect you to run it, shock, like I would run it. Not like that. In the parable of the talents or the money bags, as the NIV says it, he hands out crazy awesome rewards. If you guys haven't read it, you should read it. We're going to go there, Matthew 25, 19 to 30. That's the, uh, the whole passage. We're just going to quote chunks. But listen to this. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. This guy made five more bags of gold. That is an incredible return. 
He says, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Calls five bags of gold a few things. Now that tells you about the master and his resources. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You handled your freedom well. You had the freedom to choose what to do with these resources. You engaged in business. You took risk. You got a return. I'm going to put you in charge of even more, and I want you to be as happy as I am. Wow. Says the same thing to the guy that got two, but the guy that got one says this. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was, what's that word? (coughs) Afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Whoa, bad move. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is reward for using our freedom well, and there are repercussions, sometimes severe, for using it poorly. Amen. Poorly. And you might say, well, this passage isn't about freedom. It's about the money. It's about the talents. It's about their abilities. But you have the freedom to decide what to do. This guy was free to bury it. Is this horrifying? Think about what that means. Good grief. Here's Paul talking in Romans 14, 10 and 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Judge them for what? In context. How they use their freedom. Whether or not they're eating this idol meat. He says, why are you even bothering to judge each other? Don't, why do you treat them with contempt? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. In context, an account of what? How did you use your freedom for everything? But he's talking about, are you eating or are you not eating? And he says, don't worry about it. You let them worry about it. They've got a compass. They've got their conscience. You worry about you. Because the accountability is coming. These judgments pertain to how we use our liberty. We have four closing points here. We need to pray for guidance. (laughs) Hopefully that seems obvious. Some of you might have already started when I read the consequences, like, dear God, help. (laughs) Good news. We know from reading the whole Bible that we do not have a God that enjoys punishing. You can read in the book of Ezekiel, it's repeated twice. He doesn't enjoy it. He'd rather give grace and mercy. This is super good news for everyone in this room, okay? He likes to give grace and mercy. He'd rather reward than punish. Punishing is the last thing in the world that God wants to do. But pray for guidance. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom to know how to use your freedom well. Act only out of confident faith. Remember, you can get rid of seeming gray areas by just asking yourself a question. Am I confidently sure that this is the right thing? Am I confidently sure? Am I acting out of faith? And if the answer is I'm not sure, the answer is no. And maybe you'll mature. Maybe that opinion will change over time. And there'll be, you know, maybe one day you'll be going down to buy quarter steaks too. But it's not today. 
for you, it's objectively true for everyone that it would be sin. Yes. And it takes humility to acknowledge that. But we need to be willing. We need to be humble enough to forego our freedoms for the sake of others. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 about love being the most excellent way, this is part of what he's talking about. Don't consider yourself just an individual. Consider what's good for everyone. And if you have to not have that Bell's Amber Ale with, di- with dinner, who cares? Who cares? And if it's that big of a deal to you, you have an issue. Does that make sense? And then lastly, I want to leave you with this challenge. Think about what's best for them. Worry about what's best for other people, even this guy when he shows up. Don't let him run your life. I want to say as a close, because I thought I had it in here and I, I either skipped it by accident or I didn't get to it. Paul is not saying to accommodate legalists. All right? This needs to be touched on. I should have done it earlier. Forgive the lack of a flow, but this is important. Paul combated legalists all the time. The people that went to the church in Galatia and were trying to say, you have to obey the law and get circumcised, he fought them tooth and nail and said, kick them out. Don't listen to them. They don't even belong here. This isn't about letting legalists run your life. It's not. This is about having a heart that wants what's best for other true believers. This is not the prude who disdains your freedom. This is the person who might actually be damaged by it. The person whose convictions are actually assaulted. It hurts them. Like the people that, my friends that I made watch that stupid, gross movie. Like I saw the looks on their faces. They weren't being legalistic prudes. They were, they were hurt by it. Does that make sense? That's what we're looking out for. And this guy doesn't act like he can be hurt. But even he can be hurt. Sound good? Let's pray to close.